Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that's very proud of the Welsh defenders at Wembley last night for adhering to social distancing. (laughs) Today, in no particular order, we're talking internationals, Pep Guardiola, defenders and away days and discuss this wide range of subjects. I'm joined by the ever-versatile Howard. You well, pal? Yeah, not bad. Happy porridge, so... Fired up and ready to go. So. I thought you said then happy porridge, like it was some kind of <laughs> greeting. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's happy eating like porridge, but... How Scots would introduce themselves to each other. <laughs> happy porridge to you. <laughs> I'd rather have a full English fry up, but yeah. Unfortunately, that's not possible every day, is it? So. Imagine if it was. Imagine if, if fry-ups were healthy and... If, if everything had the same calories. <laughs> yeah. What would your daily diet be? Yeah. <laughs> If you saw in these kind of, you know, lifestyle magazines, oh, you eat more chocolate, eat more fry-ups, be amazing. Donuts, donuts are the key to kind of, you know, a healthy life. Mm. That's what we need right now, but it's not going to happen. So. Pies. Oh, pies. <laughs> pies are what I keep out of my life, because I know if I have one, then mm. that's I, it, you say. I had a meat and potato pie for my lunch yesterday. It felt so wrong and so very, very wrong. <laughs> I keep looking at the... the- the guy who provides pies for City. Yeah. It's got a half price sale on online. <laughs> I can't get 24 bolty pies in. It's like, <laughs> I put them in the freezer, but it's like every day I'm thinking, there's still 24 pies in the freezer. I might as well just have one. <laughs> do, you just, do you check out their website with the same kind of guilt as some kind of niche sector of uh, Pornhub or something? <laughs> I just stare at them for half a day, put them in the basket and then click out. <laughs> Every oh, day. Love it. Right, let's get on to City Matters. Um, Ferran Soriano has caused a bit of a stir this week by suggesting that B-teams are needed in a restructured EFL. Um, let's just get straight into this. Howard, how do you feel about that? Yeah, shit, I do. <laughs> right, next, next question. question. Yeah. I think you have to split it down anyway. Right, looking from his point, can I just say, for City, it's an excellent idea. Well, of course. That's why he said it. Yeah. So, uh, for developing youth in the big teams, it would be an absolutely superb idea. Much better that they're playing in front of bigger crowds against Championship or League One sides, whatever level it would be. League One, perhaps. Real competitive football, playing for their own team, in a way. That probably has a, a, in a way, yeah. A, yeah. Well, a similar playing style. So, you know... Rather than loaning out to, I don't know, <laughs> Doncaster Rovers or Barnsley or off to Italy or Spain, who, and obviously the Italy Spain teams might try and play the similar if they're part of the city group, but to have, yeah, obviously there's a, a, a playing style that runs through our teams at City. So to play within that would obviously help them develop to, if they were then to be put into the first team. So it's an excellent idea for the big teams to do it. I think it's better just hoarding huge amounts of players, loaning them out, and then just, you know, most of them get sold on. Some may come back, but very few do. But that's not the issue here. It's a terrible, terrible idea because what is best for City or Liverpool or United is neither here nor there. Once again, it's, for me, trampling over all the other clubs, yeah. yeah, it's basically saying the Premier League is more important than everything else put together. Big clubs are more important than everything else put together. 120 years of history and tradition. 
And I, I, I'm big on history tradition in the English game. I even, I even agree with it being a Wembley, even if the new one isn't perfect. So, I mean, just to say how tell it is, just flip it and put yourself in the place of, say, an extra city fan. And imagine that your league season involves playing B teams of Manchester City and Liverpool and tell me that that's right. Now, obviously, other countries do it, but other countries aren't England. England is unique in its league system. It has a lot of league teams for its population and size. It can, it does creak, you know. That is a lot of professional football teams, and it is more than perhaps the size of the country that its population warrants. But this is a system that's survived on the whole for over well over a century. You're talking about some teams, you know, 150 years old. It doesn't need changing. It's what makes English football quite unique in the world. It's part of its marketing as well. If you think the marketing of the Premier League is just about the Premier League, it's not. It's about English football. It's about that pyramid structure. It's about the FA Cup. It's all of these things, and it should never change. And it's quite worrying to me that people like Soriano, I understand his viewpoint. He's not interested in that. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. didn't. He wasn't sat at home as a ten-year-old in a full city kit watching the FA Cup final, <laughs> thinking, "I wonder if my team will ever get there." He knows nothing about that. He knows nothing about the history of Notts County, or yeah, you know, or maybe he does. Maybe he's a, you know, he's maybe he's learnt up on it all. If he does, then he'll understand why it's such a bad idea. Because it works in other countries, it's just not an argument for me. Or because it exists in another country, is not another argument for me. They don't have as many professional teams, and it's always been there. When we've had it 100 years, let's not compare us to Spain or Italy and them not having it, because mm. there's history and tradition there, and, yeah, I just think it's a terrible idea, so I'll stop well, rambling. And- there's history then, and, and, and it's worked. I mean, you know, I, I agree with everything you've said. The only kind of um, caveat I would add to what you say is... You know, you basically said, you know, well, this is how we have it, and it kind of, you know, we we go along with this. But I I think it works and thrives. I mean, the coronavirus is going to have mm. a severe impact upon lower league clubs. Of course, it is. Does that mean that we need to kind of corrupt that whole system and, and throw loads of B teams in there? No, absolutely not. Um, just everything about this idea is wrong for me. Um, you know, I can see it as a city fan. It'd be quite intriguing and fun to see a B team in, in, you know, League One, for example. But where would be the interest realistically? Uh, they can't get promoted um, in, into um, the Premier League, so there's no ultimate aim for them. Um, but everything what Ferran said was, was you know, I disagreed with anyway. Um, it, to quote him, he says, we have a development gap of boys that are 17 or 18. They don't find the right place to develop. And for example, they're taken from us by the German teams who tried to sell them back to us for a price which is 10 times what they paid. That is so rich that basically <laughs> Ferran could just buy City at a stroke now single-handedly. Oh my God. For one thing, let's look at it, this. Um, Jude Bellingham, Birmingham City, 16 years of age. Signed by Dortmund, now playing in a Dortmund first team. Now, if City or Chelsea or Liverpool had bought Bellingham, he wouldn't have got a sniff of first team action. He'd have been loaned out to Girona and then he'd have come back after a season, then loaned out again somewhere else and then come back and then loaned out again. And then his whole pathway would have just been this kind of succession of loans 
and his career would have come to nothing because we've seen that time and time and time again. Um, furthermore, City took Jaden Sancho from Watford for half a million pounds, sold him to Dortmund for eight million, and now Dortmund are looking to sell him on for considerably more. Why can they do that? Because Dortmund developed Sancho. City didn't. That's why Sancho left City. City got uh, Matondo from Cardiff for half a million, sold for Schalke for 11 million. He's now playing for Schalke. He's in the Wales first team. Would that have happened at City? No. So it's so rich. You can't be saying this. It's not true. And and it would have it would devalue the footballing pyramid, as you've said. Um, and we can't be having that. So uh, if German teams are buying our youngsters, that's because they're then playing them and developing them to England's benefit. Um, mm, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, frankly, let's switch it. Let's flip it and say that English clubs, the likes of City and Chelsea and Liverpool and the like, and Spurs, go, you can go on and on. They're the ones in the wrong here. They should be signing these clubs, uh, players sorry, from the Championship down and developing them properly. So there's no need for a B team in League One. They'll actually have a pathway to the first team. But there's not. Now, that's a different argument. Fair enough. But you can't then complain if German clubs are doing it. And the last thing I'd say on the subject as well is it just does my head in it. It infuriates me how it's impossible these days. This is a slightly separate argument, I admit, but championship clubs and lower down, they can't retain their talented kids anymore. I mean, if you've got a Doncaster Rovers, as you say, or a Barnsley, and they've got a genuinely talented 15-year-old, he's not going to see a, a debut for Doncaster or Barnsley. Yeah. They're going to develop him, and who comes in? City, Chelsea. So... <laughs> Come on, this is so I mean, rich, Ferrin. This is so... You can't be saying that. We're already doing it through the back door, through the... Whatever it's called. Was it the checker trade or the EFL? Or yeah, and where's Whatever in names they give. Zero. Look at, yeah, I mean, zero crowds there. You know, it's just like... Really. I mean, if you're a Doncaster Rovers fan, do you really want to see... To watch your team in that trophy against someone else's development team? Yeah. It's like... Well, you want to see your own team, so you might go, but... It's not glamorous, is it? No. Uh, I mean, he spoke for about half an hour on a number of things, sorry, I know. So, you know, yeah, it's just one of many things in the it media was. will extract and just stuff. To... But it doesn't change the fact that he said it and he means it and it, that's his intention. And as I keep saying, he's right on the basic level. It's a great idea for the big clubs, but that isn't the point. That isn't what's important here. It's trampling over lower leagues yet again. And where do these teams go? My worry is people like Soriano will be quite happy if a, f- a few more teams do go to the wall to create those gaps for these development teams to go yeah. into. Yeah. And that is, you know, our, everyone's priority right now should be ensuring those gaps do not appear, that these clubs can survive. And I'm worried that this will be used as a bribe Yeah, well, the, before this bailout the for lower league clubs. Give us something back. Well, no, I'm sorry. Obviously... Premier League clubs don't have to do anything. But I would hope that they did do something because they wanted to, because they understood English football and how it helps them and what they're part of. And that they don't want something back, that they can do it because they can afford to. Because it's the difference of a couple of live, a couple of payments for two live games from Sky is not really going to hit them where it hurts in their wallet. And, yeah, there's other issues as well. It's like, 
these teams can't be promoted to the Premier League. So it makes a mockery of the divisions. If they're yeah. if they win a league, they don't go up, and it just you know it messes up all the tradition of how leagues work. Basically, you know the top two go up, whatever the next four in a playoff. But if there's development teams all in the mix, then everything gets very confused and messy. And what's the point of having a team in a league? I mean, it destroys the whole point of. Yeah, like I said, the league tables. Your if you've got teams yeah. in there that yeah. can't go up, that can't be promoted, uh, it just—I just don't like it. Obviously, I say from the city side that I'd be quite interested in watching them. Yeah, uh, it's a great way to watch the, the players. Uh, good for their development. Better than going on loan. But if he's if he's got an issue with seventeen, eighteen year olds missing out development. Stop hoarding hundreds of players. <laughs> exactly. It's so rich. Like it some really factory. Is. Just yeah. you're gonna have to be a bit more picky and try and scout and be and look at the real talents and and it's hard because obviously you cannot tell you know, you take your players at a very young age and really so often it's sixteen or seventeen when you begin to understand which ones are gonna make it. So it's easier said than done to say, well, we can tell at 13 which are the real talents. But, you know, <laughs> if you're going to hoard players, then don't moan if lots of them, That's you know, you have to then loan to. them all out. It's yeah, like... Yeah. They've got no, no no moral obligation to have to kind of pick and choose and, and limit how many... They can sign as many youngsters as they want, City, and same as Chelsea and all it. But that is their privilege. And if you have that privilege, don't then turn around and say, oh, we want a little bit more privilege here. Come on. <laughs> Just accept that you've got it good. Um, and as regards to, you know, the, the, the league structure... God forbid other clubs go to the wall, but if other clubs do go to the wall, then we'll just have to basically tighten our belts and go down to three divisions, um, mm. you know, like other clubs across Europe have. Um, but no, we don't have to then populate it with B teams. It would make a mockery of it, and I would hate it. Um, and as regards to kind of, you know, how Premier League clubs can help out, there's two different sides to this. There's reality, which Sean Dyche ever so eloquently said, didn't he? What did he compare it to? Some kind of hedge fund, if a, a, a large hedge fund uh, business and a smaller one and one goes out of business, the other hedge fund yeah. doesn't help out. Right, okay, if you want to see it in such capitalist terms, fair enough. I guess that is rea- the reality of the situation. But there's also something considerably more important, which is if every Premier League player foregoed a week's wages, then every club in League 1 and 2 would be able to survive for a year mm. through COVID. Now, I am not suggesting for a second that every Premier League player forewent for their, their wages for a week. That's never going to happen, nor would I expect them to do that. But doesn't that just show? Doesn't that just show how messed up it is and mm. the vast difference and just how morally and ethically just wrong, we've took a wrong turn somewhere and it's just gone too far now. And basically what Ferran is saying is he'd like it to go that bit further. No. no I mean, I don't know that... Without even having to look it up, I know that I reckon the Championship, I think, is the fourth most attended league in the world. Mm. Uh, now it's got 24 teams in it, so yeah, bit of cheating going on there because there's more games than a lot of other leagues. <laughs> yeah. uh, but still, that's that's crazy. And I would guarantee that the fourth level and the third level of English football leagues one and two 
will have higher attendances than any third or fourth level league oh, yeah, anywhere absolutely. else in the world. Yeah. Constantly. So you cannot compare this with what's going on, you know, what happens in Spain's third tier or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of them are regional as well and split up and all sorts of things. Uh, if you've ever found yourself putting a bet on <laughs> Germany's third division north or whatever, uh, <laughs> desperate times <laughs> to bump up that accumulator. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a unique place. And this obviously, the situation this year will put English teams have gone to the world before this pandemic because of, you know, obviously asset stripping and well, poor management. Next, but, yeah, and there's yeah. questions to be asked about, I mean, the laws, the rules do not allow City to have bunged Barry or Bolton some money to keep them going or Wigan or well, whoever. We, we let them on training ground for six months. Yeah, and exactly. They turned into one hell of a state with windows broken and water turned off and all kinds of crap. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what did United do, incidentally? I mean, within this same interview with Ferran, um, you know, that's brought up where he has to defend himself about our spending during COVID. You know, yeah. Ash United, just for once, media, Ash United, stop making us the bad guys in this. They do sod all for anyone, and they yep. are run in this absolutely disgusting manner where they basically their owners just take, you know, money out of the club. Um, they are everything wrong. In terms of how they're structured financially, Manchester United, they're everything wrong that is with football. Uh, and City have got a lot of good about them. I, I will say... But, but this is part... Sorry, yeah, but it's, it's the thing about piling this on Premier League teams. Yeah. yeah, the, main, yeah. Um, the other main issue away from the pandemic is the EFL and how it's run, how it's allowed owners to come in and ask well, exactly. and sell That's grounds and do all... Yes. And yeah. look, even championship sides, what are Sheffield Wednesday and Derby and all the things they're up to? And, well, apparently done no wrong, it, it seems. But obviously, some shady deals going on and there's issues there that it's nothing to do with the Premier League but we, if they can do something in these times then yeah. we should do something and not expect something back in return I think I need saying because there is, has to be a slight balance to, to this kind of discussion as regards to the lower league clubs too, too often I think we're guilty of portraying them as kind of you know the, these sweet innocent kind of underdogs who are just trying, trying to get by but if you take you know I could pluck any club at random, Crawley, Stevenage, whoever they may be in League One or Two, Cambridge United, if they somehow manage to get to the Championship, you know, likely, more likely than not, they would overspend. They would yeah. just turn into these capitalist monsters, basically. Um, Virtually all the Championship sides run at a loss. So. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that the Premier League are the bad guys and the lower league clubs are these kind of, you know, all just pure old-school football clubs run well and deserve a bit of help in these dire times. I'm not suggesting that, but if you want this structure to exist and thrive and you know, for, the, for the benefit of all of English football, there has to be some kind of way of, of just, you know, handing down, basically, just bigger, helping out. A bigger trickle-down would stop that. Trickle-down, yes, yes. I think why the club's overstretch is because they see there's two huge goals there. Get to the Championship and you know you're in the money. Get then get to the Premier League, League and you've yeah. made, you are absolutely yeah. made. It's like yeah. rising through the mafia ranks, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's and that's why they will put their existence at risk just to get those promotions. Now you have a bigger trickle down, and it, you know, it just uh, it doesn't make. It would hopefully not with all owners or not with all clubs. It would hopefully lower that desperation to 
to gamble yeah. your club's future and to survive promotion. I mean right now it does come down you know with many clubs it comes down to pure survival um, yeah. and you know just now more than ever before we really need to see basically bigger clubs helping out smaller clubs in whatever capacity and, and to, be honest, to be fair I'm saying bigger clubs here and, and isolating United and City really we're not even talking about that are we Howard we're talking about no. the Premier League the organisation the one that has before COVID, reportedly had something like £2 billion just stashed away for emergencies. This is an emergency, lads. Well, um, if there was a B teams, how many would there be? Mm, uh, yeah. Just the top six? You know, yeah. Just, who's the team that misses out? It's not 20, is it? It's not every Premier League club. No, no it wouldn't be. No. So why would some have it? Why would it be all right for City and Liverpool to farm players through the lower leagues, but not... Yeah. Say uh, I don't know Southampton or it'd be intriguing. Aston I'd do it that. I, I would, you know, from a City perspective, from a Blue, I would love to see a City B team in say, yeah. League One coming up against Stephen Itchy Crawley or whoever. And if City are playing on a Sunday and it's on on a Saturday, I'd happily stream it and see our kids and all the rest of it. But that is by the by. Some things are just more important, um, which will bring us to what we will be discussing at the end of today's pod. Um, until we get to the end, though, our next subject, completely separate to what we've talked about. As I said at the start, this is a quite a versatile show today. Um, City scapegoats. It's something we've wanted to discuss for a while. Um, Ace, I wanted to talk about it, and sadly he can't be with us today, but um, he, he brought up Mendy and Gundo and Rodri and Jesus, uh, and I want us to kind of talk about the fact that you know, they are city scapegoats with certain portions of the fan base. Um, will this ever change? How, how much does it affect them? Uh, how fair is this? Um, so let's go through them individually. Um, actually, before we do so, Howard, let's talk about them as a collective. Yeah, I think collective you start. So Yeah. So I mean, the point is, uh, well, I was going to ask you, is this a city thing? No, no. This is one thing I was going to say. Is it's, this a football thing? It's, so is every club part of life? I, I would say it's, it extends beyond football. It, it, it's in the workplace, isn't it? If you go to any office, you're going to get uh, people there who are unpopular or treated quite badly or unfairly, and it's just a part of life. It's um, and it's yeah. right across the board at every club. You'll have right. three or four players who are less popular with the fan base than others, or more accurately, less trusted to put in a performance. Um, so it starts with an element of truth, in a way. Yeah, yeah in I that would say so. I, 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 scapegoats will never be the best performing players, to state I, the obvious. I do have a slight problem with Roger being included. I think there's certain factors there which make him you know, separate to the other three. Um, you know, one season, having to adapt to English football. This year, we... It's a wait and see still for me with Rodri. But certainly but, with, with Mandy, Gundo and Jesus, when their names are on the team sheet and you look at on Twitter, for example, or if you're in the ground ahead of the game and the team's announced, there's that slight moan, isn't there? <laughs> that slight groan. Um, does that affect the players? I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's some players who are online a lot and yeah. know... And reads. Well, sorry to interrupt. He does. So, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I had no idea this. But it, um, a survey came out yesterday: the most trolled players in the Premier yeah, League, yeah. and Rashford was top. Um, I know why Rashford will be top because he's 
become like a, political, a quite yeah. green yes. social warrior. Yeah. Yes, and then uh, I don't think it's because he's uh, he has dropped form a bit, but there's no way. No, but Jesus was, been... was he fourth or third or fourth? Yeah. Why is that? I wasn't even aware he was on Twitter. I don't know where the source. I don't know what material they used, but uh, I hope to God that's not from Blues. I shouldn't imagine that it is, but it's. Um... I don't. I, I can't think that Jesus would get much attention from rival fans. Mm. He's not one who just. As you say, he's not hugely active on social media. He's not a big name as such. He's not English. English players tend to get a lot of attention, you know, a lot more of the time. He's not done anything off the pitch. That's So who else would it be from? Yeah. I, know I don't know. Strange. Brazilian fans, are they really? Yeah. It could be. <laughs> are they very angry on social media? It could well be Brazilian fans. I would explain it. And just got a question for you, Howard. It's a, a difficult one. I appreciate that. But Mendy, Gundo, Jesus, and you know the, the distrust amongst Blues of, of when they start, um, even criticism of them, is that in any way justified? Criticism is, yeah. I mean, that's their job, the sportsman. So. Yeah. <sighs> what about prejudice? I, I struggle what here about, with what, what, what he's about what's to come because I, I admit I've done it. You've done it. Every football fan. Has, has done this they are prejudiced against certain players as regards to the performance they're going to put in so you feel before they've kicked the ball in that 90 minutes you think uh, I, I don't I don't fancy him in that position I wish we'd gone for that player instead is that fair? Yeah obviously yeah. I mean, is that what you, yeah. No opinions on who should play and who's better is all fair obviously okay. Okay. I think what we're talking about is when it goes past that and scapegoating is I think the scapegoating shows itself most. The most perfect way it shows itself is if you if someone doesn't like a player, they will pretty much ignore when they have a good game. Yes. You won't see him comment on Twitter. There'll be nothing, nothing. Yeah. But as soon as they make a mistake, uh, and the problem with scapegoating is just, yeah, looking at things subjectively, impartiality is just out the window because once you don't like someone, it's, you know, and there's so much of that on Twitter, so favourites, and you'll let favourite players have bad form. Sergio Aguero can get away with murder, and rightly so, <laughs> I should add. <laughs> you know, he could play badly for weeks and weeks and weeks, but obviously, Benjamin Mendy miscontrols the ball, yeah. lets the team in who don't score from it, that will get more attention, and three weeks of bad form for Aguero. Now, there's some logic to that, because, you know, Aguero's just, he's done it, time after time after time for a decade whereas if Mendy was if Mendy had been brilliant for six years and was going through a bad patch he wouldn't be the scapegoat he is now or he wouldn't be getting the criticism he is now but of course he's had two bad injuries he's never got going at City and I think a lot of us a lot of fans you know just at the point of well I just can't see him succeeding you're perfectly entitled to that opinion I'm not sure that counts as scapegoating I think scapegoating is where you just search out every negative for someone whilst ignoring the positives mm. and City fans we just have a history of dealing with full backs don't know <laughs> what it is about do we ask too much of them I mean you know maybe we've just not bought brilliantly in those positions and obviously even even a few years ago it was a problem positions for us uh, we've had some poor ones but we've had some poor midfielders and boy have we had some poor strikers as well so but we do love to attack a a fullback. There's no two ways about yeah, it. True enough. Yeah, I can go right back to um, 
you know, late 80s, mid-80s, actually, for that to, to appear, yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, but Pratt, I can't bloody think of his name now. He was, he was at City for years, but I think even Paul Power at one point encountered it as well, and, and all the good that he kind of um, gave City. He's, yeah, his phone waned into it in yeah. the last, and then it recovered when he left for... Kenny Clements, that's the guy I'm thinking of. Kenny Clements, I remember when I first started going to City, he, he used to get absolute flack from the kickbacks. Mm. Um, but so of course, yeah. it, I mean... The thing with Benjamin Mendy is, if we were all really positive about him and said, come on, you can do this, blah, 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 online, I'm sure he'd know about it and it would probably improve his chances of playing better. Mm. But <laughs> that's not going to happen. You can't force a fan base to say something you don't, you know, feel. Well, it's not about saying you're brilliant, it's just saying you can improve or, you know, being positive about the situation. I've no doubt he'd pick up on that. And it could make him strive harder. So things like this can really destroy players. If I was a player, I wouldn't go anywhere near the internet. I just, yeah, I mean, a lot have PR people who put Instagram posts out and stuff, but I just wouldn't go anywhere near it. I just, it's, I mean, even for, even for unassuming, well-performing mid-tier players, they'll be detritus every time they post. And I just, yeah, from someone, it's just. You just look at any topic. I mean, I mean, someone famous could put "It's quite sunny today" on Twitter and probably get a death threat from it. Or, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> honestly, yeah. someone someone will come on and say, "I'm sorry, I find the term sun offensive as it relates to the patriarchy." Or blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, something ridiculous. You know, I just don't understand why they go near it. Uh, yeah, and it, it must be quite damaging for those that do because even if they're playing well even if everything's going well and their life's fine and they've had no controversies there's just so much anger out there that yeah uh, but scapegoats obviously come from a place where form is mixed yeah. and for some they don't see a way out of that bad form in a way well they just think let me ask you this then I mean of those let's include Rodri in this I know you want to yeah. talk about them as a collective but individually Mendy, Gundo, Rodri, Jesus who from them, one, two, three, or, or none, can you see basically turning this around? So, you know, in, in a year's time, we're talking about the same subject, they're not mentioned. So what was the list again? So it was uh, Benjamin, Mendy, Gundo, yeah. Rodri, and Jesus. Well, I don't think Gundo's got anything to turn around. Yeah. He, he's literally, he's not going to turn around his... His performances are fine when he's played a certain way in certain well, games. Well, that's what makes it fascinating with him. That sort of separates him from the other three. And I think it's some, not him, it's the position, really. It's how he's used. Yeah, he can't, yeah, he can't do everything. He can't... You know, there's players you could put in multiple positions who would just do amazing. Gundo suits certain things, and when he's put in a system, like a double pivot or something, or further upfield, where he prefers to play, I don't think we get as much from him. Mm. Nothing's going to change with him. Yeah. Uh Rodri could change, of course, because he's in his second season, and but he's not going to get faster. But I still think awareness, you know, and anticipation, yeah, are just as important as how quick he can turn. Uh, Jesus, yeah, Mendy is probably the least one, I think. So I just think yeah. it, it's going to take a lot of good form for, to turn a lot of fans around. It's hard because, like, well, Jesus basically comes down to scoring goals and taking your chances, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, a striker can turn things around. It's it's in their boots, basically, to do that, isn't it? Whereas yeah. Benjamin Mendy, when a fullback 
has established a reputation for being untrustworthy as regards to his performances and always having a rick in them, etc., etc. You basically have to put in a solid four months of really good form. I mean, a good example mm. of that would be Kyle Walker, who post lockdown, you know, when it got to yeah. the second month, we started going, hang on a minute, Kyle's playing really well right now. And then it takes a long time for that trust to turn around when it comes to defenders. So in that aspect, I think forwards tend to have it easier. But then you could counter that by saying there's a lot more weekly pressure on forwards to produce. And, you know, they have to score the goals week in, week out. Um, Yeah, it's a difficult one for me. Rodri, I would take out of that because I don't think we're there yet. Gundo, I think it's the type of player he is and how he's used by Pep. That's the problem that some Blues have. Um, Jesus and Mendy, I do believe they are scapegoated to an extent, um, but not really unfairly that they're scapegoated for a reason because of, you know, the things... Frustrate. Yeah, yeah frustrate. That, that's exactly well, we know the, right the better. It's not, it's not... Sorry for interrupting. It's no, not that's exactly the right word, that frustration, yeah. Bang average players. I think we're... Yeah, the frustration comes from, yes, they, they can get better. And Jesus takes a step forward and then kind of, you know, steps back again. Yeah. And that's what... Yeah. Okay. Uh, can I just say, though, two of those players are t- tarnished because of who they're compared against. So Jesus is not an out-and-out striker for me, but he will always be. The frustration comes from he's not Aguero. Yeah. And Rodri's not Fernandinho. Well, absolutely, Pango. Yeah. So it's the positions yeah. they fill are not doing them any favours either. So because of, what, what you're saying is it's Pep who should be getting the criticism and it's Pep who should be getting the boos. Is that what no, you're saying? No, they're, just <laughs> up, they're up against legends, basically. Yeah. Trying to fill the boots of legends there. Uh, which obviously isn't easy. Trying to trying to match Aguero and Fernandinho is just mission impossible in a way. Okay, well, let's switch tack slightly. Uh, mentioned Pep there. Um, his track record of signing defenders has been kind of brought into question um, in, in the last kind of week or two, particularly since the signing of Diaz. Um, I, I've done some sums. I mean, it varies enormously. Guys, do research on this. I looked at a few websites and some of the figures out there are just, you know, astounding. And some of the players mentioned as well, like Zinchenko should not be included in this list of defenders that Pep Guardiola has signed. But he cost nothing anyway, so... cost nothing anyway. He wasn't signed as a defender. He was converted as a defender. So, you know, that's fair's fair. Um, The list I've got is £462 million. That's a lot of money on defenders. Now, from that 13, if you look about hit rate and actual successes... And it's too early, obviously, for Diaz um, and possibly even Nathan Ake too. You're looking at about a 50% success rate there. Can Pep Guardiola sign defenders? I have a problem with that question very much. Right. <laughs> no, not you. Yeah. It is the question that's been asked you know, in the exactly. media and I've asked yeah. for it to be put in this. So, uh, yeah, you're a disgrace, Steve. <laughs> well, I am, but that's by the by. Well, firstly... <laughs> What's Pep got to do with some of these signings is where I start. So, okay. I mean, you sent me a Planet Football link. Yeah. So Pedro Porro. That's why I've missed him out. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what's Pep got to do with that for 10 million? Obviously, yeah. a lot of these signings, Philip Sandler. Yeah. I've included him because he did play for City. Yes. Yeah. No, no, but do you think Pep's on the phone saying, I need that player? I'm, so, I'm sorry, he's got. And nothing was, to was nothing million, to do with it. it was two million quid anyway, so, yeah. Or someone like Zinchenko's, but yeah, you know, he's not been 
scouting these players. It's nothing to do with Pep. You could then have a go at him for not developing them or making them or, you know, but it might be nothing to do with him. It might just have been a bad signing that was due to cheeky scouting, lots of other things, reports, blah, blah, blah. The, the, my first issue with this, you know, over the question of Pep not being able to to put a solid defence onto the pitch is that I just don't think he's got a lot to do with the signings. Like many managers, they you know, players are signed for them. Obviously, Pep's a lot more integrated into processes than a lot of other managers, but some of the players on that list will have had little to do with him. Then you take off Diaz and Ake have just signed, so we cannot make any conclusions about them. And again, we don't know if Diaz was his first choice, second choice, third choice, whatever. So we can't. There's a hundred million that we can't comment <laughs> on because ask, asking three years, yeah. you have to. I mean, they've just joined, and everyone was agreed that we needed to get them, and one of them was to replace a retired defender. So it's fair enough. It's not to replace a failure. It's to replace a retired defender. Pep Guardiola is not responsible for two serious injuries to Benjamin Mendy. Yeah. He's well, not responsible for John Stones allegedly, possibly, potentially having off-field issues in the same way that Bernardo Silva is not responsible for him tweeting out and then having a drop of form afterwards because he's upset about you know there's things that just out of a manager's board injury of course as well yeah 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 and injuries to Stones is he responsible is he pushing him on the training ground I doubt it very much there's two areas I think he's stumbled a bit. Now, he brought Bravo in, did he not? He did. That was obviously a mistake. But at the time, did any of us think, no, it was a mistake? He's bringing a Barcelona goalkeeper. And I'm sure he was getting a lot of game time along with Stegen. I don't know. No one at the time thought this is a disastrous signing, but it proved that way. So fair enough. And I think at right back... The Danilo Cancelo, he's still got a lot to prove that I don't know what's going on there. Danilo was bought for about 30, I don't know, 25 million, 30 million. Yeah. Never, never seemed to make a mistake or be bad, but it never seemed to play him. And now Cancelo's in for more, you know, having swapped for Danilo, and he doesn't get much game time either. So there's a few questions there. But really, I think it's overegged this thing that. He can't buy a defence and his teams can't defend. I just don't... If you look at that list, you've got Laporte on there, do you not? Mm-hmm. Obviously, no problem with that. Angelino, well, it won't be a success, but he's five million and will be sold for more at some point next summer. Zinchenko was 1.7 million. As you say, he wasn't bought for that anyway. just bought as a youth prospect. Really. What and we could easily... Whatever you think of him, that's a success as a purchase. I mean, we could have sold him for 16 million to Wolves about two years ago, uh, and probably 30 million plus a year ago, or am I getting my years mixed up? But he's obviously worth a lot, lot, lot more. Uh, as I say, Mendy and Stones, I don't think you can put that on. Kyle Walker has been a success for 47 well, million. Edison. I, I mean, Edison, 36 and million. Edison, pounds. Yeah, I still don't think he's a brilliant shot stopper. Uh, than he was last weekend. But he's integral to how we play, so he really did, you know, fill the gap. Everyone laughed at the... It was a record, I think, for 
Everyone yeah. scoffed at £30 million for a goalkeeper. Yeah. Now Chelsea have got a £75 million one rotting in the reserves. So <laughs> it goes to show. I mean, why would you scoff at £30 million for a goalkeeper? It's the most important position on the pitch or one of anyone. Yeah. So, I mean, about, I think, yes, it's a mixed record, but to put it all on Pep is ridiculous in a way because, I mean, just look at all the other teams, look at the other top teams and they are awash with expensive signings who are not getting much game time. Obviously, United, we ain't got the time to go through their defensive <laughs> shambles. But look yeah. at Chelsea. Chelsea are awash yeah. with players who, you know, defenders who can't defend that well and big money signings that aren't getting much game time. It's the same all around. There'll be failures in there. And it all rests on, at the end, you know, can they defend? I, I always say the system, the system does hang our defenders out to dry a bit at times. So, yeah. as... Yeah, it's the same as Liverpool. When that press fails, uh, the defenders are asked, you know, literally fighting the tide then when the press fails. So it's not all on the defenders failing, you know, just when you look at the goals conceded. So it's not 100%, but I don't think it's as bad. Basically, I don't think it's a, quite as bad as people make out. No, I think um, John Stone's close to 50 million um, and Mendy again it can't be attributed to Pep that but with injuries with Mendy and I think those two kind of just makes it a, a, a discussion that kind of rivals can kind of talk about semi-legitimately um, but yeah as regards to how much you can blame Pep for that well not at all you can't blame Pep for the injuries that Stones has had or Mendy's had I, I should say as well that Cancelo and uh, Danilo the list I mentioned and the figure I mentioned before, that's, you know, individual purchases, whereas in reality, of course, as you say, one was a swap for the other, so you can take about £33 million off that figure. Okay. Um, yeah, we, I mean, you just said there, basically, £200 million of that figure, well, ignoring sales, obviously, yeah. £200 of that figure have either just joined or been wrapped with injuries since they've been here. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's half of it you literally cannot put on Pep. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, very early days, I know, but I, yeah. I, I was a big fan of Nathan Ake before we signed him, and I really wanted us to sign him. Um, I wanted us to sign him like the previous year. So what I've seen so far from Ake, I'm very happy with. And I know it's we're talking about one appearance, but Diaz looks like he could be successful with City. So, yeah, let's wait and see. Um, sadly, we don't have time, Howard, to talk about England-Wales and... and yeah. um, and I'm gutted. As a Welshman, I am absolutely gutted that we can't talk about that. I've nice. never been so bored overnight, oh, so I've nothing yeah. to say I've, anyway. I've never been less asked about losing 3-0 to England before. And why would you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I think towards the end, it was um, a good chance for England. And I thought, I really wouldn't care if it's when he made it 4-0. Was it Wales' strongest side? Or was no, it I, I didn't even recognise. There was three, three players I'd never heard of before. There was three players on the bench I've never heard of before. And, you know, I'm not hugely knowledgeable about football, but I tend to know who Wales players are. So yeah. all I will say is just, I think, I mean, it didn't mean much, but I think we have to, we have to look away. I hope Southgate's brave enough not to put the big names in all the time. Well, Grealish. So, we'll talk about Maguire, who shouldn't be in the squad if he's absolutely yeah, if he's consistent with his disciplinary and morals. Then <laughs> Maguire should not be in the squad. But he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but 
putting that to one side, Maguire's been an absolute abomination this season yeah. on the pitch. He shouldn't be in that England side. If John Stones, and we agree John Stones, let's say he was fit, does not deserve to be in an England side, why would Harry Maguire be in the England side? Because he played well in the past. Well, he's not playing well now, and he's not as good as Gareth Southgate seems to think he is. So why not Cody? Why not someone who's playing better? Why just think... Just don't think that it has to be Maguire, it has to be Gomez, or because he plays for Liverpool. Just think about it a bit more, yeah, realistically. Just because Cody's 27 and broken through at that age, does that mean he's not really good enough? Or, of course, he can be good enough. So, I think there's questions to be asked about the stronger side when we have to play a big, big game. So, next summer, yeah, uh, Grealish obviously struggles to fit him in the side. Well, why? I mean, just. I don't know, you have to change his If his you're formation. a good manager, you can fit Jack Grealish in your side. That's yeah. just a fact. I mean, well, I mean, it's because it's the area of the pitch, isn't it, where obviously with the likes of Sancho, Rashford and Sterling back, you'd have to change that formation back, which leaves but, a lot lot fewer options it back does, in the middle. But uh, at times, those players are going to be unavailable, as we've seen with, with Sterling yeah. and Sinceshal break. And you need obviously different ways of, of kind of you know knocking at that door and trying to break down an opponent. So you know Grealish should be my my personal opinion is Grealish should be in every England squad. Um, as regards to how you play him, then when he comes on, you simply adapt and you play a, a slightly different way as regards to your front three. Well, um, as we he'll saw be in time. every squad now. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so, and, and it should that should be the case. Well, um, I mean, he's in better form than Rashford. Yeah, simple as that. But so, I've got to say, Rashford's performances for England, though, his record for England yeah, yeah. Is, is outstanding. So I, I feel uh, he's just brought shame on me. I remember saying that about Lingard about two years ago. <laughs> so I was positive about him saying, he, you know, he plays well uh, for England. It's like, oh, my God. He did, though. So, you know. Lingard did, yeah. 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 No, I did, yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. More than once. Well, I you think, were right, though. You know, Lingard was, he went through that spell, didn't he, where... He looked and will be it for England. Um, yeah, some players got, do that. Yeah, we've got more options now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Want more options. So. Yeah, I mean, the over, problem is we're overloaded at right back and underloaded at left back. So Yeah. But as I pointed out last night from a Welsh perspective, you look at those players who made their debuts last night who would be considered to be very much on the periphery of the England first 11. So you look at Grealish, you look at Calvert Lewin, you look at Cody, for example. Um, they would be. You know, starting every game for Wales, they would be superstars for Wales. So, mm. you know, they would be key men for us. So, you know, as is often the case when you're looking at the smaller countries, you take, you know, the two or three of the best players out of that team, and suddenly we're significantly weakened. Because uh, it comes down to depth. It's as simple as that. It comes down to squad depth. And, and Wales doesn't have any squad depth. I mean, I, I want Scotland to get through. Yeah. I know it's H. Oh, I don't. I, I always want Scotland. We get to the Euro finals. I don't. I'd rather watch Wales, Northern Ireland. Ireland, Ireland are so boring to watch. I'm yeah. sorry, they're just not as you know, at the moment. Uh, I see not, but I'd still rather see them and Scotland than be watching Israel. Of course, or, of course. Yeah, you know, Slovakia. Slovakia are quite a tidy side when I've seen them in the past, but they don't mean anything to me. I'd have more interest if I was watching Scotland. Yeah, and and a good laugh when they lose. And then uh, they can have a good laugh when we lose. <laughs> when we both go out, everyone can have a good laugh. So Yeah, you want all four home nations and Republic of Ireland. I know it's not part of the UK, but it's, you know... A, a yeah, it feels like, yeah. I mean, we know the players, don't we? we know exactly. them. Exactly. Um, 
Right, well, we definitely don't have time to look at the um, Belgium game, except to say that it's going to be a, a lot tougher, I think, than people think. You know, ranked number one in the world, um, unbeaten in the last 10 games. Um, the, their aggregate scoreline from those last 10 games is 47-4. Um, I've been missing Eden Hazard. He may appear, he may not, but he's very much half-fit at the moment, coming back from a muscle injury. But they've got, you know, a certain player called Kevin De Bruyne in there. Who um, didn't play during the week. No, and then you've got Lukaku as well, who's scoring for fun in, in Italy. So it's going to be a tough game, that. Um, and personally, I think Belgium are going to win. Um, so just kind of you know, a quick prediction of how things might pan out. Yeah, is it in? Let's have a look. Uh, at Wembley. Oh, it's at England. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter in a way, does it? But yeah, I don't know what side he's going to put out. Uh, draw. Right. High score, two all. Yeah, it, it, that will be tough. I mean, that's a game. At least it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. At least I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather watch that and watch England lose than watch us win three 0 in a friendly. Yeah, against. I mean, a friendly. Charles, what right? on earth are we playing a friendly for? We'll be discussing the internationals being played, or we run out of time for that. We've run out of time for that, but we. It well, it's a disgrace. Anyway. It's, it's an absolute lunacy isn't it? it it makes no sense on any level I cannot believe that game went ahead last night it, it, it staggered me it infuriated me it sickened me it's it's just wrong on every level friendlies what do we feel we've got a New Zealand friendly coming up what, what for what yeah for Gareth Southgate to plan I mean just and, and he played you watch them every week night, and so. just I mean come yeah. on you've got six Nations League games anyway there'll be more friendlies no doubt before the Euros next year yeah, well, did the Nations League game. need to be played right now? Could they not be put off until early next year? The playoffs now. The playoffs last night entertainment three penalty shootouts simultaneously, <laughs> but you know involving kind of home nations. Uh, but they were delayed. They were supposed to be in March, of course, and then the pandemic happened. So why couldn't they have been played next March instead? Why now? I just think, look. I've been wrong. Well, I said the Premier League shouldn't restart it, and it went well. It was soulless, but it went well. We got the season finished. Maybe everyone will come back and everything will be fine, and we'll say, okay. But I still think you're taking unnecessary risks with a lot of people flying around the world for very, very little gain, and I just think it just didn't need to happen. It's, it's, it's a lunacy, but the actual friendly last night in Wales... I, like I say, it staggers me that I went ahead. When you look at the fixture schedules and just how condensed it is and just how we're basically flogging our players to death here, um, why on earth did that go ahead? And, you know, you've got two England games going on in the next week. Uh, why cram a third one in there? I, I just can't I mean, England have only played two games in the previous 46 weeks. So you can see why Gareth Southgate wants a friendly and wants to try things out. Ah, but fucking, there's more important things than him yeah, need, a managers on. needing to try things out. Come on. Yeah. The bloody waistcoat wearing schoolmaster with his kind of <laughs> pick and choosing when it comes to disciplinary issues. Oh, the youngsters are, yeah, right, okay. I can look really tough in front of, you know, kind of the, the nation here and 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 I meet you from the the second meet up as well. Un, unnecessarily, because you've already learnt your lesson. Uh, oh, wow, hang on. Three players who I, I play that are quite important to me have done similar. Okay, not so serious, but a similar thing. Oh, no. Yeah, let's, let's just sweep that one under the carpet. Uh, did the same with Maguire. He backed Maguire. He, he, he threw Sterling to the Wolves. Fuck him. 
I understand the Foden agreement was obviously done on England duty, which mm. is yeah. Oh, it was, it was more serious, of course it was, and but yeah, you can't be picking and choosing when it comes to disciplinary issues because all you do then is you just undermine what you've done in the first place, and um, and you're just going to have you know discontent in the ranks and um, yeah. He's, well, Amateur, amateur hours. I don't, I don't want to go in. in I'm not going because United play. I'm not going in on Maguire. I don't know what happened there. All I know is he may have been stitched up. He may have been put in a very difficult position. But I always say he shouldn't have been there anyway. You know, yeah, because again, players like like social media. You know, it's 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 sad. It's sad that they can't leave normal lives, but they can't. So him trying to really put himself, he's put himself in a difficult position just by being there and going out on the lash. Well, it's not like he could uh, be in But he has, all I can say is he has been found guilty. He's now appealed. Absolutely. Like us with Cass, let's wait and see what the appeal is. Yeah. But, you know, because that's that, that still as, as serious a, an of issue, more is. serious he's, than what Phil found, Foden did. He found guilty of assaulting a police officer. And it's not as if he could be inconspicuous when he goes out there, but not with the size of his forehead. So... He was just basically inviting trouble, wasn't he? So, anyway, yeah. let, let's. I, mean, I agree. I, I have no problem with the punishment for Foden and Greenwood. I should add. I yeah, just think, well, the second I've just one, said to you, the more important players will be given more leeway because the more because they need to be played, and yeah. that's how football's always worked. It's why Joey Barton can stab a cigar out of the youth player, and the youth player gets released, not Joey Barton. So, yeah, because Joey Barton's the asset. And Mr. Tandy, I think his name. Yeah, he wasn't, and it's it's how it works. It's just yeah. Well, it's like you, you know, do? a member of the public could get done for you know crossing county lines and going for a drive somewhere, whereas you know the, the kind of right hand man and the prime minister gets away with it and defended to the death. It's just how life is, and it stinks to high heaven. Um, yeah. It's across football. It's across life. And I've lost any respect I had for Gareth Southgate over the manner in which he's dealt with disciplinary issues in the last kind of three months. Anyway, anyway that was a, a good 20 minutes on the internationals we didn't have time. Yes, for. exactly. Let's quickly <laughs> end on That's away my days. Fault. It's fine, man. Let's end on away days because it's been um, a survey has concluded concluded this week that Anfield is the best away day for <laughs> this fans. Now, I'm just going to quickly say... <laughs> What undermines under this? What undermines this even more? Oh, you know man. what? Over to you, Howard. You go for it. Well, no, it isn't, obviously. <laughs> and let's be honest. Imagine me as a City fan going in, but having been so sad that I'd go in and into a survey and put the Etihad as the greatest away day. Mm. Firstly, I've never been in the away end, but obviously it's the same as being the home end, but with, you know, uh, different travelling experience. Yeah. Uh, no, of course, Sanford isn't. Apart from the ground, specifically when the away fans are, is a dump. The, the yeah. view is rubbish. Yeah. What makes a brilliant away day? Uh, once the music stopped piped in and the flags have been put down, the atmosphere is crap, as it is with most Premier League grounds, I should add. Let's not pretend that the best away day is any of the big set. Yeah, brands. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, Newcastle was voted second. I mean, Newcastle. Right, well, so clearly yeah. these people It's are... central, isn't it? So key to an away day is obviously having a nice view, being treated with respect by the club itself. And Newcastle falls down is that you're, you know, basically In the reduced oxygen levels. Yeah. The, you're so high up. But if your eyesight's good, then not the end of the world. Uh, <laughs> Near a city centre, 
boozers nearby, somewhere to drink. There all the things, and but generally just an old tight ground, uh, somewhere like you know. And I, I think like West Brom or oh, Brom. We, that's what I was going to say. West Brom. I wouldn't say you can drink nearby, but it's so easy to get the train from Birmingham, so you can have drinks in Birmingham, mm. get the train. It's a nice, tight little ground. I was going to say Villa Park, but when I went there, it was an absolute death trap when I went there in the Cup a couple of years ago, yeah. the concourse. But again, you know, just grounds like that where you can have a drink nearby, where there's not hassle as well. I mean, I never wear a shirt in a way day, but where you don't feel threatened... Some would say they want to be threatened. They would say that's a negative. Uh, old school would say no. You want you need a bit of a you know, an yeah, atmosphere, yeah. so to speak. But you edge. just need good for you need good facilities. You don't you don't want it to be in the middle of nowhere. You don't want to be treated like cattle, and you want a good view. Uh, now Anfield obviously is nowhere near that, and you want an atmosphere. So yeah, I'd say there's plenty of grounds around the Midlands that certainly do that for me. I think. Yeah, I mean, location is very important for me. It's when kind of we, we decided to talk about this, I, I was thinking about all the grounds I've been to, and all the best ones. Obviously, it's dependent on results as well. <laughs> if you've done yeah. well there, but I've had all my best away days at the Hawthorns, and and then I realised it's because it ticks all these boxes. It, you know, it, it's just the right distance. You, you're you're far enough away from home where you're on a proper away day, but after the game, you just want to get home, which yeah. is which rules all London clubs out for me. I've had some great times oh, in London, nightmare. Yeah. but horrible. And there's nothing worse than being pissed up. Well, you're actually sober by now, actually kind of the start of a hangover on a train. You fall asleep, you wake up, you think you're coming into crew, and you see rugby, and you think, oh, we're only halfway home. It's horrible. Um, whereas Midlands, perfect. It's just just far enough away. Uh, like you say, it's it's kind of tight enough ground. Um, bit old school as well. It's still got that feel to it, even in modern times. So yeah, Hawthorns, Villa Park, um, St Andrews. I, I remember a great day out in St Andrews once where they were singing Sack the Board, the Birmingham fans, and all the City fans started joining in, and then they applauded us, we applauded them, and then we won, <laughs> which helps. Um yeah, I've had all my best days in Birmingham in the Midlands, so that's one for me. Anfield, yeah, no, I'd... no. I mean, the Etihad would obviously score well because twenty minutes you're in town and you've got yes. facilities. Yeah. It's walking distance to pubs. It's quite near the centre. People are always pleasant. Away surprised. fans are treated well. The facilities are obviously brilliant. Yeah, away fans are not just stuck in the corner. They get they get a nice little section behind the goal. Mm. Uh, always better to be behind the goal, I think, than down the side. So for that respect, it yeah, it can it can score very highly if the atmosphere is good. Yeah, uh, depends on the game. Well, people are often answer. surprised. I mean, I've had examples in the past where away fans have got in touch with me before the game and said, you know, right, come to the Etihad first time. You know, what's it like? Any suggestions for pubs and etc. And I'll offer a bit of advice, and they always speak really highly after the game, and that is. First and foremost, what they mentioned, Howard, as well, they're always surprised at how near it is to the middle of town, basically. Mm. It's a short taxi ride away at Fiverr. So, um, yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much, Howard. We have discussed a wide range of issues. Um, Enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you, mate. And thank you, listeners, for listening in as ever. Stay with us, because coming up right now is a short interview from David Mooney with MCFC Fans Food Bank Support. Additionally, please look out on Saturday afternoon 
for a big drive for the food bank support from all of the city pods, writers and sites. Goes without saying that everyone has it tough right now, but some undoubtedly have it much tougher than others. This is Manchester helping out Manchester. On that note, take care of yourselves everyone and forever up the blues. As Steve mentioned there, coming up is a brief interview with Nick from Manchester City Fans Food Bank Support with David Mooney. And the interview starts with Nick explaining how the food bank came to be. Please do listen on. Thank you. Yeah, so there's a group of us that really just saw um, that there were great things being done by other fan bases across the country, um, notably um, the two clubs in Liverpool. Um, and we saw that City didn't have anything like this in terms of a fans' food bank or support um, with more sort of community aims um, from the fan base. And, you know, don't, we don't know why this is, um, but we thought, you know, sometimes it just takes one person to say, you know what, let's do something. Um, and everything's just fell in place from there. We've been very lucky to have a really good standard set by, like I said, some of the other uh, groups in the fan support and food banks um, initiative. And yeah, it's um, it, there's been a lot of work put in, um, a lot of time, a lot of effort and money, but it's 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 really worth it. And it, I, I tell you what, it's a lot easier than I think we considered. Um, yeah, we we realised that there's a need in Manchester for it, and uh, yeah. Well, I was I was going to say, what's the situation like with with food poverty in Manchester at the moment? It's bad. It's bad. It's bad in the country. Um, a massive proportion of people do live in poverty in England. It's, I think it's one in five. Sorry, that's in the UK. Um, and in Manchester specifically, um, 40% of children in Manchester grow up in households, clusters, living in, in poverty. That, that's, that's shocking. That, that, that's, that it's horrifying. To, to, when you really think about that, you grasp those numbers, you know, it could be kids, kids on your street, people in your family, you know, I think, um, a lot of people don't know that people in their families use food banks. This is a thing across Manchester, Greater Manchester, the Northwest. I think the Northwest has the highest food bank usage, um, at least for Trussell Trust food banks in the country. Um, it's a it's a dire situation, and things don't look to be getting any better, especially not now. Well, I was going to say the the pandemic as well is not going to have helped the situation, is it? The pandemic is absolutely. I, I, can't, I really can't put it into words. Um, I think less than a fortnight into lockdown, according to like YouGov research, more than 3 million people in the UK went hungry. Um, obviously, that was at a time when, you know, furlough hadn't really properly come in for a lot of people. And um, we got some stats given to us by Manchester Central Food Bank um, the other week. Manchester Central Food Bank are one of the many food banks that operate in Greater Manchester. There is one of the 19 there is the opposite across the... Metropolitan Authority, um, and uh, they cover a, a range from like you know obviously Manchester Central, it's not like Ancoats, Beswick, um, Hume, uh, Rushome, but they go as far as as far north as Harper Hay, and they go as far south as a uh, yeah as far south as Rushome and Levenshire, um, which is staggering, um, and they operate out of a uh, next to the Catholic Church on Oxford Road. Um, the chaplaincy, um, they so that's who we collect for on match days. Um, they got back to us and they said up to 17th September this year, they provided 5,246 three-day emergency food parcels to people in the community. It's hard to quantify that number, um, but when you put it into the context of 
this is three times as many parcels as they provided during the same period of 2019. Three, three times as many, and 40% of those parcels go to feed children. It, it, it really is hard to quantify them, but when you just put it like that, three times increase in demand, and it's, 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 it's terrifying. Honestly, as we all know, we've not seen the true extent of um, what a pandemic, the pandemic has done in terms of uh, overall job losses and need for food and poverty in this country. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, not good times, but it's, I think, I think a lot of people have seen throughout the throughout lockdown, whether it's on the news or radio, etc. Um, communities have come together across the country, haven't they? And um, it's been brilliant to see so much community spirit. Whether it's charitable people, yeah, pe- you know, people raising money, um, doing all their own little fundraising things. Um, charity sets are having it very hard right now, um, you know, because as you can imagine, charity is the first thing that gets cut from people's budgets when they're looking to or looking to survive. Let's be honest, but. Um, Virtual fundraising, surprisingly, has been doing quite well. Well, let's let's get into that because uh, what are the numbers behind it all? How much does it take to feed somebody or a family for for a, you know in one of these food parcels? How much can one of those be put together for? Um, honestly, ten quid. Ten quid provides a person with emergency food uh, with an emergency food parcel for three days. That that is that's that's that, that's really good when you put it into context, and you know. That £10 goes a long way because sometimes um, I think I remember when we did go to Manchester Central Food Bank uh, last year as part of our sort of like introduction to the people, introducing us to them as a group and um, starting the relationship. Um, I think it was around two in five people visiting the food bank um, are there because of things like um, specifically uh, delays in universal credit. Um, and that's like, you know, when, when you apply for universal credit, you don't get it instantly. You don't get it in a couple of weeks. You get it. You get it in a month, which is um, frightening. So sometimes those three-day emergency food parcels—they're a lifeline. You know, sometimes that's all anyone needs. Um, and it's not easy. For for, for the record, it's, I do feel it's important to say this because I think there's a lot of um, misunderstandings um, about food food bank usage. Um, it's not easy to go to these food banks. I'm not talking in terms of the mental, emotional stress. It, it can feel very demeaning for a lot of people, and, and that is a fact. But it's not easy to even get referred there in the first place. So you have to be referred from um, a professional service, like a state-run service, whether it's job centres um, or citizens' advice, things like that. But also from GPs, like you know, this is a health thing. Let's let's be honest. You know, hunger is a health issue, um, and and it's a huge issue in this country. But yeah, no, ten, 10 pounds goes towards feeding one person emergency food for three days, and I think that is a you can you are you are saving people's lives when you donate. I think that's really important to know. It's it's not about feeling good about yourself. It's about there's a there's an issue in this country. We've got to do our bit to address it where we can. Yeah, and it's it's let's be honest, it's not a lot of money as well, is it? So uh, that's uh, it, it's so easy just to to chuck ten pounds into the uh, into the into the fundraiser for 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 so many of us. Um, how how is working with with city fans or I mean, well, any football fans for that matter? How's it helped get more food bank supplies? We, I think when we did the final tally um, after, because we were in a very unfortunate situation and we had our first collection on the the 1st of January's New Year's Day, wasn't it? Um, 1st of January this year um, when we played against Everton at home, which is, first of all, brilliant because, like I say, um, Dave Kelly and Robert Daniels, the guys who were uh, driving for us behind the Evertonian fan supporting food banks, um, they came down... It was our first day. We were a bit scared, uh, to be honest. You know, we just had a, a 
makeshift gazebo that we borrowed off a mate and um, we just had some crates and we just stood there. Uh, they came down, gave us incredible moral support, stood with us for a good while, but they've also brought tons of food um, as a donation to uh, Manchester Food Banks, which is brilliant. So that was our first collection. Um, and I think we only actually got the chance to collect uh, maybe three or four more men's home games after that. Um, we're in the unfortunate situation where earlier in the year, um, City's schedule was just tons of away games, which sometimes is great, but um, not when you're starting to collect food for Manchester Food Bank um, outside the stadium. So that also, I think, so obviously lockdown did not help with that. Um, but also the storms earlier in the year, that was, you know, games were called off and that was really upsetting. Um, but still, despite all of that, we managed to collect as well as a good few hundred pounds worth of um, cash donations on, on match days, which is brilliant by fans and, you know, really appreciate stuff like that. But we collected just over 1,250 kilos of food <laughs> for the food bank, which is, um, I'm not going to be funny. I have misplaced the, uh, the statistics for telling you how many people that would need. But as you can imagine, that's absolute that is it's literally tons it is it's amazing um we um and also because of not being able to collect outside many men's home games um it did lead us to making the decision and really progressive actually decision i think to um we became the first feed bank in the the fans feed bank in the country to regularly collect outside women's home games um which is something that hadn't been done yet um in the country and, you know, let's be honest, we're very lucky that the women's stadium is just over the road. Um, but, uh, d- despite having a, what, a 10% of the capacity that the uh, men's, uh, that the, the, the uh, Etihad has, we, I I think it's fair to say that we got just as much, if not more, food donations collected at the women's games um, with that smaller capacity. And I think that's that's not slack of um, the the men's teams attendances i think that is really largely because of it's all about visuals it's all about um how present you are to the fans and we were really really lucky that some of the uh bigger uh city women's fan fan accounts and um and also some of the actual players i think arsenal was city women's versus arsenal was amazing um some of the arsenal players even like shared the news that we were going to be collecting on the day and that is so important and that's why doing things like this is so important well, I, I guess, I mean, it, it all plays into the, the, the slogan being hunger doesn't wear club colours. And when you see other teams coming together like that, it just, you know, it, it's just, it, it's not a city thing, is it? It's it's, it's important to emphasise that. Yeah, this is absolutely not a city thing. Um, simultaneously, we can claim it and we can be proud that we're doing this and we'll be proud of our club and our fans. Um, but no, this is absolutely not a city thing. Yeah, hunger doesn't wear club colours is... It's a bit of a wry statement, but it's a very true one. Um, these, like I said before, um, we've taken a lot of a lot of guidance from um, the, the wider fan supporting food banks movement. Um, we could not, we would not be as far as I, I, I believe we are now without them and without their help. And the, God, you've got amazing, amazing guys, uh, men and women across the country doing it, people in, obviously in Liverpool, but the Newcastle Food Bank's been going strong for a long while. Um, uh, West Ham started one just around the same time as we did. So, you know, we've been on the same journey together and, and they're doing great things. John Matomsky's doing great things down um, in further uh, East London, uh, the Newman Food Bank. We've now got an MP in Parliament, Ian Byrne of uh, Liverpool West Derby, um, who proudly uh, every every time is in the chamber uh, wears a fan support and food banks badge 
which is brilliant. We've had um, other pledges from MPs recently. Uh, I think Sam Sari from down south, um, Afsot Khan from Manchester Gorton, um, Charlotte Nichols for Warrington North. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's great. It's something it's absolutely across the country, and it's also across divisions. There are people collecting in the there were people collecting in the championship, um, and I think the the, the power of football fans. It, across the country there's, there's millions of us you know how many people go to games every year in this country it's, it's amazing it's unprecedented and the chance to use that 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 captive audience as such um you know to do good work for the communities that, that you know we all as come on as football fans you know we, we often talk about our clubs being community clubs you know it's it's important you know i know at city we do that a lot you know we talk about us being a community club even though things have changed a bit since we left main road um but these are the exact kind of things that make you a community club. We decide whether we're a community club. The club doesn't. We decide because we represent that club. We grow up, we live, and we die um, being fans of that club, being supporters of Manchester City. Um, so it's, I think it's on us. I think there is a little bit of responsibility we carry. Obviously, I'm not saying you don't have to do anything. It's fine. That, you know, There is no judgment on what makes you a better or worse or a football fan or not a proper fan. Nothing to do with that. But... Um, I think it's a little bit of a responsibility on us to um, carry that mantle of being a community club and caring for our communities. Well, let's get to the reason why uh, people are listening, because uh, let's be honest, if you uh, there's a joint fundraiser between City fans and United fans at the moment. Uh, it's supporting all 19 of, of Greater Manchester's food banks. Uh, it, but if you donate at the moment, there is quite a special prize on offer, isn't there? Yes, there is. Um, we got given by a very, um, a very generous individual um, a signed Pep Centurions home shirt, which is a like. I mean, he wouldn't like a big golden laminated shirt in their gaff. You know what I mean? So um, <laughs> all you need to do to uh, enter is just it's what we've done for our previous um, raffles. We've we've had two shirt raffles so far. Um, the first one was a uh, Michael Ball donated it. Actually, funny enough to. Um, uh, I think the Kitty Out guys who are a great, a great organisation in Liverpool and um, they passed it on to us to raffle and raise money for our funds so that was our first ever one we raised 200 quid um, we then had a, a Yaya signed shirt from Champions League game a couple of years ago that raised 430 odd quid um, we are very much looking to smash that this time around um, with this Peps shirt so um, yeah if you uh, yeah what we do is if you donate any sum of money, which I think is how you should do these sort of things, if you donate any sum of money, there is no required minimum amount. Um, if it's a quid, it's a tenner, it's a hundred quid. Um, yeah, that counts as a yeah counts as a raffle ticket for this, and then we just do a do a blind a roulette spin sort of wheel thing on the computer, and uh, yeah, pull out the pull out the winner, and we'll we'll post it to you. So if you want to be part of that, if you want to donate, um, and you want to be in with a chance of winning this uh, this this sign Peps and Jorian shirt, then yeah, just go to the Twitter at MCFC Foodbank, and uh, it is the same on um, Instagram and Facebook as well, and uh, yeah, see all the details there. And uh, Saturday, obviously, is a, it's kind of a day of action between all the, uh, the, the a lot of city accounts on Twitter. Um, are there any targets? Do you, is there any target that you want to get to for uh, for donations and stuff on Saturday? Um, there's no, I'd say there's no target. Honestly, I w- it would be great to beat the um, beat the, the the last total of yeah yeah. Um, but no, we I, we are honestly it's, it's it's to say we're grateful is an understatement. That anyone just donating, it, it's amazing. It's um, it means so much to Mancunians in need. It really can't understate that. 
Um, and I really do have to say that this whole day of action is absolutely incredible. The fact that it was started organically by other City fans, um, they came to us um, and, and loads of people just pitched in and offered to do their little bit to help, even if it's just sharing the word. That is absolutely everything that we're trying to do. It's it's about encouraging, you know, our fellow blues to just uh, to do stuff off their own back. We're, we're just we're just another set of fans who are doing our thing. The fact that people are coming together like this is absolutely brilliant. It is everything that we wanted. Um, you know, we've we've got people that are donating profits of um some of their you know people are selling certain. Uh, is it uh, the real F bloke on Twitter? Is um he's selling mugs and giving a percentage of donations and um, the ginger wig on Twitter has been uh, selling city uh, face masks um, and giving a percentage of profits um, absolutely amazing and we have not asked anyone to do this people have just done it off their own back and this is what it's about it's it's just encouraging fans to do more stuff um, for, for, for our city and uh, it's absolutely amazing um, sometimes it's just a case of like you know get, getting yourself known um, this is huge and you know, we've got some really established um platforms here and really and you know we're individuals that we all respect uh coming together doing this for our club for our city it's not for the club sorry it's for it's for for the city and its people um it's absolutely brilliant and i hope there's more things like that and i'm absolutely sure there will because i have no doubt in the generosity and um community spirit and solidarity of city funds